Hello there and welcome to another Coffee and Concepts. Every month we take a concept from a seminar I've given and I do a little video and we do a live discussion. You can find the live discussion on my Patreon as well as the videos and the seminars. So this month I looked at uh, a clip from a talk I gave in Belfast called Church of the Contradiction. And in this clip, I talked about the paratheological approach to the question of life after death. And so this is what I said. This is that there is life after death, and we are the evidence of it, right? To be a subject is to have passed through death. The subject is the result of castration, of, of a fundamental loss. And here's the trick. If you're scared of dying, the good news is... You already have died. And the only thing you have to do is learn to symbolize that death. Right? That's the problem. So a lot of primordial fear, primal agony, it's called where you're terrified of a catastrophe that's going to happen in the future, is a terror of a, of a catastrophe that's already happened. Right? So whenever people think they're going to leave me and everything's going to fall apart and I'll never be the same again and there's this catastrophizing thought, Generally, that is because the catastrophe has already occurred. It just hasn't been symbolized. And so instead of trying to like, you know, desensitize yourself to the catastrophe in the future, what you need to do is somehow symbolize the catastrophe that has already happened to you. The ultimate catastrophe is we are all already dead. What is the universal thing that links us all together? All castrated. We have all passed through the crucible of death. And that's important for the Church of the Contradiction. The Church of the Contradiction is designed through liturgy to help you symbolize the death that you already are. And in embracing and enjoying that death, that is jouissance. Okay, so what I'd like to do is reflect on what I'm talking about in this clip from the seminar. Give three different examples that each go a little bit deeper into what I'm trying to approach here. And then in the discussion, uh, we can go a little bit deeper. So... Let's take the example of someone who has a type of primal agony that their relationship is going to fall apart. Late at night, they often get catastrophic in their thinking and they believe that their partner is going to leave them, that everything's going to collapse. Now, sometimes what can be happening here is that the relationship already has collapsed. It just hasn't been properly symbolized. And so what you often find is a couple who maybe go to therapy and in the therapy, they discover that the relationship they have with each other is already in pieces. And it's been in pieces for the last five years of their life. And doing the therapy is actually a type of coming to terms with what has already died. Now, when the couple does that, they may end up leaving each other completely or they may end up leaving the type of relationship that they had and building something new. But once it's symbolized, once the death has been put into words, things cannot remain the same. An example that Slavoj Žižek uses is in cartoons where uh, a cat, for example, runs off the side of a cliff and its legs are spinning and it stays suspended in midair until it looks down. And only when it looks down does it actually fall. So a relationship can be like that. It can already be over the cliff. It can already be dead. 
But the looking down is the symbolizing of that. It's the rendering it into language. And once that happens, then gravity occurs and uh, reality fits with uh, what's going on, right? So even in the sense of the Second World War, there was the day in which victory was declared, the war was over, and yet the war continued for a certain period of time. So the war is seen as over, and yet the conflict still goes on. Something continues to happen. So just two very concrete examples. I have a friend who uh, lived in Texas, and when her parents would come to visit her, uh, who were very conservative, she would hide all the alcohol in her house. And I asked her, oh, you know, you hide the alcohol when they come around? Yes. I go, well, do they not know that you drink? And she's like, oh, no, they know that I drink. And I go, well, why are you hiding the alcohol then? Well, if I don't hide the alcohol, there'll be some sort of radical fracture in the relationship. Now, of course, the truth is that the fracture is already there. And by hiding the alcohol and therefore not giving a kind of visible representation of the fracture, things can continue on as if everything is normal. But if she keeps the alcohol out, then that will force something. Now, either the parents and the child won't find a way to talk about this and maybe they'll become estranged. Uh, and then really what will happen is uh, that will reflect the truth of what is already taking place. Or they will be forced into a position where they have to try to talk about things and listen to each other, learn from each other, hear each other's anxieties and concerns, and something new might arise. But while something is not being said or seen, the fracture that already exists can be ignored. Another quick example is a guy I knew in Mexico who when he visited his family with his girlfriend, they would always sleep in separate rooms. And they lived together uh, in Mexico. And I said, you know, do your parents not know that you live with your partner? And they were like, yes. Uh, but again, his response was, but if we slept in the same room, then a whole argument would start and it would be a catastrophe. But as we talked, it became obvious that there was already a type of catastrophe within the family that everybody was attempting to avoid looking at. So in this example, whenever one says that a person is afraid of the relationship falling apart, one can say, well, has the relationship already fallen apart? And therefore, the courageous thing to do is simply to face that, to put it into words. And when you have the courage to do that, something can happen. Now, I'm not an optimist in saying it's going to be wonderful. Uh, at the very worst, there will be an estrangement that will reflect the truth. But also, it opens up the possibility for a positive transformation and that's what's interesting is only when you symbolize it can you open yourself up to a type of spontaneity or novelty or possibility that otherwise is closed okay the second way that we can talk about something being already dead but we haven't acknowledged it is again an example of someone who is terrified of losing say a relationship with a partner 
uh, and what we can sometimes discover in that primal agony. Now, this isn't just a sensible concern that maybe things aren't great in a relationship. This is someone who is tyrannized by a constant fear of that loss even when things seem to be going well where they are always looking for any empirical data that would justify this pathological fear right now what we can sometimes find is that the loss that they're terrified will happen has already happened in their childhood sometimes you find that a person has lost something very dear to them when they were very young and what they're replaying in this fear of a future death, a future loss, is actually simply an echo of that loss from the past that they haven't been able to symbolize yet. So we'll give you two examples of that. One is someone I know who was sent off to boarding school when they were very young. And this deeply affected them. This separation from the family, being put into this very foreign place, it had a very deep impact on this very young child. Now, this wasn't symbolized by them in any uh, proper way. It only came up through their primal agony when it came to losing their current partner. There was within that pathological fear the evidence of something in the past. Now, it's, it's best not to think of this past thing as some substantive loss, right? There's something substantive. It's a better analogy to think of it as a type of quantum dimension that is not substantive. Uh, it's a kind of superposition. There's, a, there's just something that haunts the individual and they haven't constructed a framework of language around it. And so as you are able to do that and begin to put into words this very uh, haunting of a lack from the past, what you can find is the fear of the loss in the future diminishes and diminishes. There's always a natural pain with the ending of relationships. But if on top of that natural pain, there is also this primal agony, then it can become completely unbearable. Another example that someone shared with me is that they, they lost their father when they were 18 months old. And again, this was so young that they didn't have any substantive memory of it as such, but it was an event that they were immersed in that affected the entire environment of their infancy and of their childhood. And in adulthood, they had fear of losing father figures. They had fear of losing partners. They had fear of losing family members. That was very profound. But as this person was able to realize that this was connected to this this very early loss and was, was able to begin to speak of that and cognize it, then these fears in the present began to dissipate. Okay, so those are two ways of understanding this idea that the death you fear might have already happened. The third way that I mean this is the most substantive and the most difficult in the previous two versions that I spoke about, the idea that a relationship, for example, might be dead already, you just haven't symbolized it. And in the second one, where it's not the relationship is dead, 
there's some death or fundamental loss in your past that you haven't been able to symbolize. In both of those, there is a type of loss of something that once was there. In this third example, we're going to talk about lack, right? Loss is where you had something and no longer have it. In lack, the absence comes first, and then we fantasize something that we had before the lack. So lack is like kind of original sin, original sin meaning original loss. It is a lack that comes first, that then generates a fantasy. And in this way, what I want to say is that all of us, we all have contingent losses in different ways, but they're different depending on our histories. And some of us have been more deeply affected by those losses than others. But what marks us all, a negative universal, is that we are all lacking subjects, which means that we came into being as subjects through a fundamental loss. So if you imagine being at one with the mother other, the infant is at the mother's breast, there is a sense in which there is an oceanic oneness, and then this separation occurs. Now, in truth, you're not a subject who is separated from the other. You become a subject through the separation. The subject who is able to say, I, and therefore there is a thou. There is an inside, and there must therefore be an outside. Before the inside, there was no outside. Before the I, there was no thou. So through this loss, which is a lack, right? It's an ontological condition. We feel that we are marked by some gap. Something is missing in our lives. Some abyss marks us from the very first days of our life to the very last days of our life. And if we're not able to symbolize that, if we're not able to put it into words, to affirm it, to experience it through art, through music, through storytelling, through philosophy, then that lack will manifest itself in very violent and destructive ways, destructive to us and or destructive to other people. We will take that lack and we will deny it and we will uh, you know, enter into religions of pure positivity, entrepreneurship of the self. You can do everything. You can just be uncastrated. Then you will suffer from fatigue. You'll suffer from ADHD. You'll suffer from burnout. All of these modern symptoms, depression and melancholy, will result from this inability to symbolize this lack. And we will scapegoat. We will find other people who are responsible for this feeling of loss, We'll say it's them, and if we can get rid of them, then everything will be great. Whenever I talk about there being life after death, and we are the evidence for it, what I mean is that all of us have died. And the challenge is to have a liturgical, ritualistic way to embrace and affirm and enjoy that death that we are. That is the role of parotheology. The role of the music is to let you feel it. The role of the words is to let you cognize it, to understand it. And the role of the ritual is to help you incarnate it so that when you leave that liturgical space, you will have created within yourself a space 
uh, a symbolizing of that lack. And that has political and religious and cultural and psychological healing that we will talk about uh, in future videos. So hope that was helpful. Thanks very much for watching. I'll see you all again soon. Bye-bye.